Hello friends and welcome, welcome back to the RPG Interview Room. This is a podcast in which your host, which happens to be me, Paco Garcia, gets together with some cool people from the RPG world and asks a hell of a ton of questions. And tonight is, tonight, I well, say tonight because I'm recording at 10 past 11 p.m. my time in, in Brighton in the UK. So you might not be listening at the same time, but tonight is a very, very special night for me because um, I'm with somebody that I have read a lot about, I have heard a lot about, I've interacted a lot about, I am very fond of uh, for, for, for various and many, many reasons. And I've been gagging, gagging to have him around for, for a chat and an interview. And um, his Kickstarter, The Shadow of the Demon, Demon Lord, um, is basically the perfect excuse to say hello uh, and have in the podcast uh, the legend that is Mr. Robert Schrolp. Robert, welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Believe me, it, it is an, an absolute pleasure. Now, you see, usually, uh, usually I would go into um, establishing the credentials of the people I have online uh, by asking questions about the past. But I reckon in your case, that is such a useless thing to do because your credentials are just as solid as they can be. You've, you've done some severely amazing games in the past. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, that's very kind of you to say that. I could not have done all those great, awesome things without all the help of the people who worked with me and helped, uh, helped me look really good. Um, you see that that is that is your modesty talking because even though that is true, and you know you, you've worked with great people in Wizards of the Coast, and you've worked with great people in Green Ronin, and you've worked with great people in Monte Cook Games, and you've done amazing things. Um, but you know that that Songs of Ice and Fire game that's kind of sexy, and you did. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, uh, but you know that, that I also. The Song of Ice and Fire game was is an interesting species because it was um, it was a last thing I designed for Green Ronin before I left to work as a contractor for Wizards, and it, what was interesting about that was that um, what was interesting was that it was I was having to learn the crunchiness of Fourth Edition while trying to build a somewhat narrative focused RPG on Song of Ice and Fire, so I was working split brain the entire process. But you know, uh, it was I, I'm proud of the results. Um, of course, there's always things I'd love to go back and, and change and redesign, but I think that's the curse of anybody who does this for a living. Well, yeah, any creative endeavor is going to have that. But also, um, and this is just to highlight your, your talent, you have been the writer that has, in my opinion, managed to capture the spirit of Dark Sun better than anyone else. Uh, your, your Dark Sun novel, um, I was really captivated by the plot, by the tone, I was surprised that you didn't use more psionics, and yet that seemed to work really, really well. And you really elevated that level of literature into a genre that has usually been considered, I'm not going to say it was because I don't believe it was, but it's been considered to be mediocre. And yet, as a novelist, hell, you did well there. Wow, well, thank you very much. Uh, um, another confession moment about the that novel. Uh, that novel was an excruciating experience. Really? Uh, no, it was. Uh, so here's a story. I had it was the first novel that I had written. Uh, I was supposed to write, and the thought was, was that 
I was going to have a lot of hand-holding and shepherding to get that book from start to completion. Well, I get, I'm working on it when I'm not working on the 40,000 word, 40, words I'm supposed to write a month for Wizards at the time. And uh, things got kind of busy. Uh, in particular, one thing happened, and that was the Sionic, uh, Sionic Power source book for 4th edition. Well, I was approached by management, and they said, Hey, Rob, we need you to write this book almost all by your lonesome. Ari Marmel is going to come in and do some of the story framework in the back end, but we need you to design all the mechanics for this book. And we need you to do it in, the, in about a month. And so the novel went on hold. Now the novel's on hold, and I'm working on psionic power, and I'm working on something else, and uh, something else. And then I finally got to, I think it was January, and I realized that I'm going to take this time to finish the novel, because I had 40,000, 50,000 words written. So I go back with a fresh novel, and I got clean, fresh eyes, and I'm ready to go, and I dig in, I start reading, and I realize that it's just garbage. <laughs> Utter garbage. I threw it all out. I freaked the hell out. I, got, I left the house, got my car, drove around for an hour, and came back and rebuilt a new outline. And the first draft of the novel I wrote in three weeks, uh, that awfully complex novel in three weeks. And there were a lot of other complications uh, but that happened afterwards, but that was harrowing. And, um, you know, every step of that process would, ended up being twice as hard as I thought it was going to be. Well, but I'm glad you liked it. You know, I it loved was, it. But I'm really, really glad. That makes me very happy. I, I loved it. And I think everybody should should read it because it's seriously, that, that book deserves to be a hardcover and sold everywhere because it's just fantastic. You you don't hold any punches when you write. Uh, and that showed, which is, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, so all those things have now, after working as well with Monte Cook and Bruce Cordell uh, and, and doing some seriously amazing work in the last few years, all that has led you now to, to come out with your very own game, your very own system and your very own company, the, the aptly named Shadow of the Demon Lord. Uh, tell me a little bit about the genesis of that. Um, sure. Uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord has been something that um, I've been thinking about for you know, probably forever. Uh, and, you know, when you work on a lot of different projects and you work on a lot of different games, you kind of accumulate some extra tech and mechanics and juicy bits that kind of you hold in your hard drive for that rainy day. Uh, towards the end of my time working for Wizards, it was becoming clear that my contract was getting ready to expire. And with my contract expiring, it was time for me to look to see what I was going to do next. So what I decided to do was uh, I decided to see, fool around with an idea to see if I could make another game from the ground up. And I assembled an alpha draft of the game and presented it to my playtesters. And at that point, we didn't really, I wasn't really sure if what the Demon Lord angle was going to be about. I was just looking at pure mechanics to see if I could get it to work. Well, it turns out my playtesters loved it. And um, then uh, I was working on some other things while working on this in the background. 56, draft later, 56 drafts later, we were here and running the Kickstarter. But that was, I mean, really what I wanted to do was, I mean, I could have done anything, right? I could have started a company that was going to do third-party products for another publisher or, you know, uh, if, if Deep Wizard Dever does an OGL, I could have done fifth edition product for that. I could have done Pathfinder product. Uh, I'm sure I could have gotten a license to somebody else. But what I wanted to do was I didn't want to hitch my star to somebody else's wagon. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to hitch my wagon to somebody else's star. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, and 
because I wanted to be, I wanted to have control over what I did, and I wanted to test myself as a game designer and present a game that circumvents a lot of the obstacles that people have when trying to play role-playing games. How have you managed that? You think? Well, so I took a I took a careful look at what and how we how my groups consume RPGs, and I've been around long enough to see. Lots of different gaming groups, and lots of different players, and lots of different game masters, and talking to a lot of people over the years. Uh, and then this was confirmed when looking at data accumulated during the fifth edition design. One of the things that struck me was that campaigns typically last two and a, two months, two and a half months, and then they fall apart. I mean, now we, let's now that's 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 just that's there's cold hard data out there to support that. Mm -hmm. Now let's think about though what the promise of a lot of role playing games are. And we'll go to 4th edition because it's a really good, clear example. 4th edition says that your group gains a level after every 10 encounters, thereabouts. There are, and it takes you an hour per encounter, typically. So that's 10 hours per level. You do that to get to the Paragon tier, you're at 100 hours. To get through the Epic tier, you're at three, wait, it's, it's a lot of hours, 300 <laughs> hours. So it's, it's an absurd amount of, that's a lot of gaming, right? And uh, that's, I'm not even sure if my math is right. But anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of hours, it's a lot of gaming. Basically, you're, look, and you're playing twice, you know, twice a month if you're lucky. You're looking at multiple years of investment to even get through one arc of a campaign. Um, and I think that the idea is that there's, the question I think that a lot of people ask is like, when you ask somebody, hey, can you commit to a two-year campaign, come to my house or we come to a, a mutual spot, and we're going to play this game every week for a couple of years, they're going to freak out on you. Uh, but when you say, hey, can you commit to two and a half, you know, two and a half months of gameplay and, and be say, you know, if you, maybe two months, the answer is usually yeah. And so what I did with this was I, I constructed the camp, I constructed the game engine so that uh, the game plays very fast, it's very streamlined, but the adventures themselves are things you can play in one session, one sitting, one three to five hour game. And when you finish that session, your group gains a level. Uh, there, so after, and the game runs from level zero, which means you're you don't have a group yet. You're kind of telling your origin story. Uh, but after eleven adventures, you've completed your campaign. That means eleven game sessions. You're done. If you play every week, you can get a full campaign experience in about two and a half months. And you that me and that allows you to do that. If that that works for you, you, you dig the game. That allows you to run multiple campaigns to realize more of the game engine than you ever could. And many other big sandboxy style games. Uh, it also means that because they're single session adventures, you don't have to do the narrative acrobatics when you have to stop an adventure midway through, and when you pick up next time, someone misses invariably. Right? It always happens. Uh, and so those are some of the things that we did. Um, the other thing, the other thing we I did with this game was to reduce the amount of effort that it go that you that you have to go through to build your character, uh, rather than make a lot of decisions up front you're making decisions about your character over time as you're playing the game. Uh, and how that works is that I mentioned about the starting characters. The very first thing you're going to do when you make a group, when you build your group, is tell your group's origin story. So the game posits that you, you and all your other friends are an ensemble cast of characters. So the very first adventure you play is how does this ensemble cast get together? What, what, why do they stick together? What, what's, the, what's the connective tissue that, that links everybody together, that links everybody as a unit? Uh, so the only choice you have to make is what kind of person are you in the world? Are you a baker? Are you a militiaman? Are you an apprentice to a wizard? Are you a student? 
Are you the town drunk? Are you a beggar? You have to kind of figure those, you figure those things out. And you also figure out what your ancestry is. You might be human or a clockwork person or a devil spawn, Cambian, uh, some elf that's recently escaped the hidden kingdoms, something along those lines. And that first, that first adventure you have, that first that, that first step into the game is, is uh, almost no requirements for you as a player. You just have to make a big choice and then make a few tweaks, roll some dice, and you know what your character is going to be. And you're rolling those dice and those tables, which give you sparks for inspiration about how your character might fit together. Um, so after you go through your first adventure, you kind of think about you, your group forms and your group gains a level. Uh, and you, when you gain a level, you get to, everybody that's in that group gets to choose a path. Now that path can is typically the choice you make for that path is based on what you did in that first adventure. So let's say you and I are both playing in a group and we have some other uh, game master. Uh, you make a, uh, a human and I make a human. Well, during that first adventure, you spend a lot of that time punching people in the face and fighting with a sword and being really aggressive and powerful. Well, I'm more uh, inclined to be sneaky and tricky and uh, I use a lot of deceit. So we have, so when it comes to time, when we formed our group, when we, uh, you probably choose warrior because that reflects what you did in that first adventure. And I would probably choose rogue based on what I, what I did in that first adventure. Now you go through this two, you'll go through two levels of gameplay as novices. Uh, but when your group hits level three, you're going to make another choice, uh, and that's going to be your expert path, and that can reinforce a choice you've already made, or it could also take you to a new direction. So let's say that you were a warrior in that first adventure, but then in the next the next couple of adventures, you found this scary spellbook that's wrapped in human faces and barbed wire, and it's got a uh, it's got a couple of tongues on the cover, all nailed in place with silver nails. And you managed to open it and read an incantation from inside, and you made somebody hatefully crack themselves for until they died. Now you've got some magic, and you're corrupted. You might go into something like uh, wizard because now that you now that you've had a taste for magic, you want to do more magic. Where as a rogue, I just decided I wanted to steal stuff, and so I go thief. So you can see, that, and so what the game does is it means what it, you'll. I'm sorry, back up. Then again, at level seven, you'll make another choice, and that can again reinforce what you did or take another direction. So what this does is that it lets you build, it lets you organically craft a character that matches a story that you're telling around the table. Uh, and it also links your advancement based on what the group does together so that it reinforces uh, cooperation and play. And last, uh, it insulates you from making suboptimal choices uh, because the benefits you get from your novice path carry on throughout the rest of your character's career. You get four big benefits, four levels worth of benefits from novice, three from expert, and two from master. So that means that you've, you go warrior, but you, and you go warrior to, to wizard, you're still going to be pretty damn good at fighting. But if you, and if you later go on to something that's more skill-based, uh, you're still always going to be really good at fighting, and you're going to be able to cast spells, and you're going to have some neat skill-oriented stuff to go with it. Um, I guess and there's finally, finally, and there's a comment, and this is, and I, this is the last bit about that. Uh, the... The, the nice thing is, too, is that complexity grows as you play. So you are learning how to play the game at every stage, and you're gradually gaining those extra mechanics that increase complexity as you go. It is tricky if you jump in as a Master Path character, but then if you jump as a Master Path character, you're probably doing that because you already know how to play the game. And you've probably seen some of those lower-level choices and have mastery of those things already. But if this is the first couple of games you're playing through, you're going to slowly accumulate how all the cool stuff that your character gets to do. So that by the time you're a master path character, you have mastered everything you've done, and you're a badass. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like the 
the more you play the game, the easier it will be to actually create a character that will be what you want it to be. Uh, so p new people will have it, uh, will be a little bit slower. If you have experience, then you can just jump into it. Right, well, sort of. Uh, if, you get, if you The full campaign posits that you're going to play from zero to ten. Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody, no matter what their experience level, will start off at zero with very simple characters. But those characters gain complexity and stuff as they as they as the group level gets bigger. But what the game also lets you do is let you zero in at certain points in the campaign or uh, certain certain play styles you might want to explore. Say, for example, that we both played a lot and we we want to come in with expert characters because we already know what the lower level stuff does, and we want a more a shorter campaign, maybe five levels instead. We can quickly make those characters based on just making a couple of choices. Right. What our our ancestry and our novice path and our expert path. And we're pretty much ready to go. And we'll have enough moving parts in our character sheet that we'll feel like we've got lots of options to do. And then we'll be moving on to even more options as we get higher levels. Um, tell me a little bit about that character sheet, because it looks like no other character sheet has ever looked before. Sure. Uh, the character sheet, one of the things I, the whole idea for the character sheet comes from a conversation I had with my father when I was a kid. And uh, not that my father was advocating putting a pentagram or anything pentagram-like <laughs> character sheet. He told me that uh, his objection to D&D was that he felt that it was way too complicated mm -hmm. and that he would only be interested in playing a role-playing game if the character sheet could fit on an index card. And I think he was trying to, I think he at that time was trying to challenge me to come up with something on my own um, because I think he sensed my interest in game design from, from the start. But uh, that kind of stuck with me, and I was, you know, I was a kid, and I was like rebellious, and I was like, I love D and D. There's no way, you know, it's fine. You're just, you're just an old man or something, right? Uh, but as I got, as I've kind of gotten older, and I'm starting to, I became much more sympathetic to the idea. So what this character sheet does is it puts, it it collects all of your characters' numbers in the center of the sheet. Your eyeballs can go to the center of the sheet whenever you need to do anything with, whenever you're interacting with the game rules. So if you need to know what your defense score is, it's right there on that little diagram thing. And it all kind of plays together. All the other circles are open-ended. You can put whatever the hell you want in those other circles. We give you some suggestions about, you might want to talk about your identity in the top left corner. You might want to talk about uh, your talents in another corner. You might want to talk about your equipment here and magic here, just to kind of sort those things. But you can fill it out whatever way you want, wherever is comfortable for you. It frees you up from the box that you're filling, and that makes you, and hopefully, will let you make you feel less like an accountant and more like you're crafting your own story. And my hope is that people, when they play through their first campaign, will start posting their character sheets online to show how weird and 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 and, and scrawled they are. So they kind of look like these organic, mad, well, not organic, but like pages torn from some mad wizard spellbook of all the notes in the campaign that have been scrawled on this ugly, ugly sheet. That's what I want to see. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I like the sound of that. An awful lot. Uh, now, what happens for those of us, for example, who people who actually enjoy having long campaigns uh, that, that can last a very, very long time? How how does your game cater for that kind of gamer? If you are one of the lucky ones out there, uh, we have two solutions for you. The first solution is that the game expectation of one level per adventure is just the baseline. You can, you can dial it up. As, and the Game Master ultimately is, is, makes the decision about when people level up. So uh, even though the expectation is that you complete a venture, you're, you're jumping up, the Game Master could say, well, you need to complete two adventures to get to level two. But then maybe for level three, you only need to complete one adventure. 
or if you or you might want to do four adventures before you can do level seven. Uh, so you can adjust that based on your tastes and interest in your group. What a longer campaign lets you do is it lets you tell, lets you do more storytelling, lets you explore more of the world, lets you build more interesting connections with other characters. Um, that's so. It, there's a, and, and of course, I would if I had a stable group that could meet consistently every week. I'd be right there with you with a two and a half year long campaign. The other we're, the other thing we're doing too is that uh, after the Kickstarter close, unless you know if if something amazing happens and we blow through the last pile of Kickstarters and we start climbing up into the six figures um, or at least higher into the six figures, um, the plan is to do two products. Uh, called Exemplars of the Demon Lord and uh, Legends of the Demon Lord. And Exemplar, the Exemplars product expands gameplay from 11 to 14, and Legends takes it from 15 to whatever you want to do. And the game plays very differently at those levels because the idea is that your character that you uh, create at level 11 really doesn't go, doesn't do the same kinds of things that he, that he or she did at lower levels. Rather, that character becomes a patron for the next character you create. So let's say you play. You played your warrior, uh, wizard, and uh, your uh, explorer. Let's say that was your that was your your character's path. Uh, you might once you roll over to level eleven, you might become the head of a guild of explorers that are looking for a new continent away from all the violence and the people in the in the land where you played before. So at that point, when you hit level eleven, you create a new character. Uh, and that'll be a new starting character that is a member of that is, that serves your higher level character. And as that character plays the game and gains levels, each time that character gains a level, your the patron character level pushes up. Does it make sense? Yes. So, so you're level you have level level eleven, and you have a level zero character. Level zero character hits level one. Your level eleven hits level twelve, and that keeps pushing up that way. And with it, and what that does, that you're you're, and you can also have that level eleven character drop in because the power curve flattens quite quite a bit once you cross over from level ten to eleven, just because otherwise it gets madness, uh, it turns into madness. But um, what that also lets you do is let you let gives players a lot of narrative control, and story building tools so they can build the world whatever the way they want. I like the idea of being able to use my current character as the patron for my next character. Yep. Oh, that's nice. You can even switch it up so that you can do your character can be the patron for another another player's character. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you link those together. That sounds awesome. That sounds pretty good. Now, talking about all these uh, long campaigns and patron characters and characters and so on and so forth, um, tell me a little bit about the setting because knowing you, uh, you like dark, gritty, brutal, gory, bloody things. Um, how what do. have you done with this? <laughs> well, uh, Couple of things about the setting uh, that may surprise you, uh, but may, may not. Um, one of the things I, one of the things that drives me nuts about role-playing games, especially as a game master, if I'm going to run a, a fairly well-established setting, uh, and I'm a pretty busy guy, but if I'm running, a, if I'm running a game in an established setting, there's something I hate more than a player who has more free time than I do correcting me about how the world works. That causes me to want to light that person on fire and watch them run around until they fall over. And then we finally put them out. Anyway, uh, rather than going that route, uh, my approach to the setting has been all about uh, big, broad strokes. We're going to talk, we, we're flying over the world and giving you kind of generalities about what things are like in various locations. And the plan is that we will, at various points, zoom in on spots on that map and detail 
that map with greater and greater details we get closer and closer to the map so that means that the game master is free to build and add whatever content he or she wants to the world and we're never going to tell you that that's wrong or right if we are and are even our uh, and that's kind of the plan so the world itself is uh is a world standing on the brink of apocalypse uh up until recently there was a great vast empire that was uh, that had maintained its authority in the land with slave soldiers that were uh, that are works that were made from this race of half giant humanoids that were conquered long ago. Uh, the orcs realized recently that what the empire was doing to control their population was to retire them when they hit middle age, ferry them off to the farm, execute them, and grind them up into meal, and then ship that meal back to feed the new orcs. Orcs figure this out, and they have a, they they rise up against the emperor, King Drudge, the orc lord, uh, strangles the emperor on the alabaster throne, and drops the corpse to his feet, and it's taken it over, which has caused the entire empire to start collapsing in on itself. Uh, the game uh, that we're presenting uh, takes place in a uh, in the one of the final final provinces that's really stable, uh, but it's a frontier province called the Northern Reach, uh, and it has its own troubles. Uh, foremost of its troubles are the, the ruins of the ancient fairy kingdoms that litter, this, litter the landscape. When mankind and mortals kind of first drifted into this world, the fairy folk largely left and retreated into these hidden kingdoms, which kind of like float like soap bubbles on top of your bathwater. Uh, and, and so you can stay, they're there, but they're, they're part of the world, and their borders are really fuzzy. Uh, some of those fairies stuck around and, have, and fought with mortals and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there's, so there's that kind of going on. There's, there are these haunted ruins, and there are a bunch of dark, twisted fairies that will scoop out people's eyes and cut off heads and steal children and do all those other terrible things. Then you also have to the north is this big stretch of blasted wasteland called the Desolation. And it is a, a dark magic warp this place, and there are these black pyramids that rise up from the sands, and there are endless legions of undead that come tumbling out of this landscape and press, and pre, and press against the borders of the Northern Reach. The only thing that kind of keep that blunts this invasion are the line of crusader states that are manned by devotees of the new god, uh, and they are committed to fighting against this, fighting against the impossible, and uh, trying to stop the tide of, of of rotting flesh that is going to overtake the world. So you're kind of positioned as your player character positioned in this landscape, this largely wilderness. There are a few pockets of high civilization where you've got guns and maybe an airship or two and clockwork people running around. But most of the landscape is wild and untamed, littered with ruins that are dangerous, uh, overrun with demons in certain corners. Uh, and you've got orcs coming up from the south and you've got undead coming from the north. It very much seems like the end times. Sounds delightful. Thank you. I want to go there on holiday now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, of uh, the... Um, what kind of characters can can the players play in that world? The ancestries uh, we have thirteen ancestries designed, um, and that gives you everything from the predictable human uh, to the much loved dwarf. Uh, and we are also going to have halflings in there, although they're not furry. They can be furry footed or not, whether they, whatever you want. Uh, but we do a lot of I do a lot of twists on some of the old classics. Uh, gnomes, for example, are made of they're they're little rock people. Uh, because they're elementals, mm -hmm. um, and they're part of, so they and they are, uh, they're going to be revealed in the Cults of the Demon Lord sourcebook as an ancestry uh, option for for player characters. And the idea is that they are uh, 
they were created when this ancient supernatural being, perhaps a god, was slain and his blood sprayed across the world. And wherever it fell and, and mingled with uh, the material or substance, it sparked, uh, it, it spawned a whole race of people. So we'll have salamanders, which are fire volcanoes, and you'll have sylphs that are clouds and air, and gnomes that are, and undines from the seas, and gnomes that live underground. Well, the gnomes worship this dead god because he, they believe that he lives at the bottom of a chasm far under the, under the earth. And uh, the cultists gather at the edges of this ravine and listen for the creaks and groans coming up from below. Every quake or tremor, is, they believe, is this dead god speaking to them. And they interpret those messages and instruct their people. Well, the gnomes have, uh, something has happened as we're getting close to the apocalypse and their community was caved in for this, this awful event. So these weird little pale, rocky little creatures that wear thick black goggles and heavy clothing come pouring out from under the ground and are in, and trying to figure out where they live in this new world. So that's that's one one example of ancestries uh, that we'll have. But so it'll be a mix of, as I said, familiar and and uh, and new. Uh, we have the Yotuns, which are the um, giant blooded humanoids that live in the south pol southern polar cap. They're eight foot tall albinos with blue hair, wearing the uh, with with, with four hundred pound monstrosities. They raid up and down the coast of the Empire in dragon proud ships. They are a black metal band. <laughs> um, so they're they're pretty badass. We've got those guys. We have Clockworks. Uh, yeah. So it goes on. We have a lot of stuff. The one thing we we're going to do in the Tombs of the Desolation uh, PDF uh, is we're going to have an undead option for characters for people who want to play undead characters. We'll have that option in the game. Now sold. That's it. <laughs> That's all you had to say. That's what I want. That sounds good to me. Yeah, I was thinking about doing. I, I was. I wasn't really sure which what, which way I was going to go, but I figured that I think people want to play vampires, so why stop them? Yeah, absolutely. Good for you. Um, what's going to happen to the game after this Kickstarter is finished? Because obviously it has already funded and, and it's going to go a lot higher. I reckon I will take at least about hundred and ten thousand dollars. That's my prediction. Um, Fingers crossed. Yes. Um, I hope I'm wrong and it's 120. We'll see. Uh, what then? What, what's going to happen after with, with, a, with a line of products for you? Um, well, we're, first of all, we're going to meet all the obligations for the Kickstarter, but that, that's obvious. Um, what I want to do after that is I want to do a series of, I'm going to, do a, I'm going to take it in a couple different directions. And the plan is on the one side, we're going to, we're going to do uh, world expansions for, or not, sorry, setting expansions and content expansions for uh, the, game, the core game. Uh, that means we'll do a, a bestiary. We'll do a book of weird magic. We'll do. Um, we'll, we'll probably detail. We'll, we'll zoom in on like an underwater, underwater city and let you play Undines, for, for example. Um, I had an idea for. Um, yeah, like then those are some of the ideas I've got kicking around. The obvious stuff, but also stuff that everybody's going to want to have. And then we'll also for the ancestries that don't make it into the game, we'll build books around those ancestries to make it. To give you more content, each one of those setting expansions will give setting expansions will give uh, an adventure, so you have a way to introduce that stuff into the game. So that's the one side. Uh, the other side uh, is the Worlds of the Demon Lord product line, and these are a series of source books that plug into the core book. So the one thing I want to do with this was that Shadow of the Demon Lord is all about apocalyptic stuff. The main game is apocalyptic dark, apocalyptic dark fantasy, but I think there are other. But there are a bunch of other ways I can actually I can I can skin this game. So the very first product we've announced that as a hundred and fifteen thousand dollars stretch goal award is what happens when you take 
Shadow the Demon Lord and Mad Max and put them in a room together. So I want you to imagine that you're a group of characters and you've got a big car and it's got a ramp plate in the front and you've got skulls on, on all over it and you might be an elf and I might be a human and we're r- racing through the desert looking for, for gasoline and water and there are roving bands of cannibals out there with, in motorcycle gangs. There are demons tumbling out of the desert wastes. There, there are ancient cities that have been overrun by mutants. All that other cool stuff, we can do that, right? And I can do that in 64 pages. So it's going to be their slim source books that plug in to the core book. Uh, we've also, the other plans are to be your colonists on a, a lost world on the fringes of a galactic empire. And the galactic empire suddenly goes silent. And so you're left to defend for yourselves on the, on the, on the very far, furthest fringes, fringes of the universe. Uh, we want to do a supers game. Um, I've even thought about doing a Western style game. Um, although I think Deadlands has that pretty much sewn up. Uh, the other one I was going to do was, um, oh, what was it? Oh yeah. I want to do shadow. The demon Lord meets like a biblical times game. <laughs> so it, there's a lot of stuff that we could do, but each one of these just will give, uh, they'll give new expansions. The, another idea was that we would have a version of the game where your ancestry choice makes you a demigod. And so you start off as demigods and you're still going using all the path choices, but because the ancestry is just the foundation on which you build your character, you can do whatever the hell you want. That sounds amazing. That sounds fantastic. Um, and last question before we wrap it up. Is there going to be some sort of licensing system so people can write adventures and material for, for Shadow of the Demon Lord? Uh, that is to be determined. Uh, well, let's see how the Kickstarter does and how the first launch runs. Um, my hope is to make sure that the Schwab Entertainment and various other PDF stores will have upwards of about 100 adventures uh, for people to download and play or buy and, and play. And because these are two to five page adventures, um, we can we can probably hit that in a reasonably in a couple of years. Um, so I want to get that I want to get that going, and I think we might do expansions later on, but uh, we'll see. Fingers crossed for that because I think the game is going to be absolutely awesome so I'm, I'm looking forward to that one um robert the the kickstarter as i said has already funded it's going to get a lot of, of, of money thank goodness for that um what are your plans for Schwab entertainment not for the demon lore but for Schwab entertainment after that because the company obviously can grow what are you going to do uh, I'm planning on expanding into card games, of course, and board games. Uh, the one thing, the one crushing reality about role-playing games is that the amount of money it takes to make one, which is why my, which is why the Kickstarter is structured the way it is, uh, and having been in the business long enough, I realize how expensive it is. Uh, the amount of money that it takes to invest in an RPG and to design it and to illust- get it illustrated versus the reward, it, it's, it's very narrow. Um, so I'll be looking at, I mean, I may do another RPG at some point in the future, although I think this is going to occupy most of my time for that, but I have, uh, several designs for card games and I even have a really, really cool board game in the works that I think a lot of people are going to dig. Um, but well, that, that has to be a secret for now. Well, let's, let's keep it secret and say no more. But the other thing I wanted to do, though, and it'd be to be my pie in the sky dream is I want to make sure that Schwab Entertainment is a place where cr- creative people can be creative. So if their contractors are employees, they can do whatever the hell they want and to not feel like they're bound by 30 years of canon or any of that stuff. I just want people to be, I, I, want, to, I want to create a, a vibrant community of 
of just great stories. That's, and that's, I want to, I want to, I want to, and I also want to empower people to do that. Well, you know what my dream would be to see a Shadow of the Demon Lord movie blockbuster, massive budget within ten years. Boy, that would be great. I might even take <laughs> off if that happens. <laughs> well, let's, let's aim high and hope that happens Robert thank you thank you so so very much for being with me today it's been as expected an absolute pleasure um, listeners come on just head on to Kickstarter don't think about it and, and just pledge for goodness sake this this game is going to be absolutely unbelievable and um, and, and we need to get to, we need to keep Robert's hobos fed so we need to we need to work on that we do we do <laughs> thank you very 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 much indeed for being here truly appreciate that and thanks for having me. I really, it, was, it was great talking to you. Great meeting you finally face to face, even though we're separated by an ocean.